You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and this edition is sponsored by our friends over at Pro Prep. We thank them for their very kind sponsorship, and I'll be telling you a little bit more about their product just a little bit later on in the show. On this edition, we are going to be discussing Arsenal's misfiring attack, and we're going to be talking about how potentially. Mikel Arteta could improve things in that department. I think largely throughout his tenure, we've all, okay, there've been wobbles in there and there've been games where that perhaps hasn't been on show. But I think we can all agree that defensively we have got better. Doesn't mean we're where we need to be. And obviously, if you look at the last few games where we've conceded a shitload of goals, it kind of doesn't really back up this point. It kind of makes you feel like it's a bit of a moot point. But Actually, overall, I think we've done a good job, or Mikel Arteta and Edu have done a good job of, of improving the back line. I think in Aaron Ramsdale, we've got a goalkeeper who you trust, who you believe in, who you feel will only get better over the years. You've got a right back who most of us are quite comfortable with in Takahiro Tomiyasu. Then you move into the centre. Ben White and Gabriel feels like a real partnership for the future. And the options that we have at left back in Kieran Tini and Nuno Tavares are pretty good as well. So, the back line has improved, but one of the big problems that Arsenal are experiencing this season and one of the big problems that we experienced at various points last season as well is in the attack. And as Arsenal fans, Arsenal fans of my generation in particular, it's really difficult to get your head around that. It's really difficult to get your head around the fact that we're watching Arsenal week in, week out and wondering where a goal is going to come from. I mean, if you think back to the peak Arsene Wenger days, if you think back to some of the striking and, and attacking midfield talent that we had over the years, to think we're now in a position where we, we simply can't attack is, is crazy. And even when things started to go south for Arsene Wenger, you still always felt that this team had the ability to score goals. The problem was largely at the other end. OK, towards the end, um, it, it went a little bit stale and, and we weren't as good in that department as we had been in years previous to that. But overall, under Arsene Wenger, you always felt like Arsenal could score. And then in came Unai Emery. And again, you know, you can't say that Unai Emery's Arsenal didn't score goals. They they had a goal threat. They were much more uh, creative than this current Arsenal side. Only, again, in Emery's case, defence was an issue. But here we are now, in December 2021, Mikel Arteta approaching his second year anniversary as Arsenal boss. And lots and lots of people are wondering why a group of forwards that comprises of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, 60-odd million pound striker, Alexander Lacazette, 40, 45 million pound striker, Nicola Pepe, a 72 million pound winger, uh, young budding talents such as Emile Smith-Rowe, Bukayo Saka, Gabriel Martinelli, Martin Odegaard. Lots of us are sitting there thinking, how are we at this point where scoring goals is proving so difficult. How are we at this point where we are getting literally one or two good chances a game and our strikers are now under so much pressure that if they don't take that chance, 
that is often the difference between us winning or losing a game. How did it come to this? Well, I think there are a number of reasons, and I think there are a number of reasons that we need to look into and we need to address and we need to discuss. And I just want to make it clear, you know, at the beginning of this episode, this is not excusing Mikel Arteta of any of the blame. In fact, I'm going to point a lot of it at him because I do think he is largely responsible for where we are now as an attacking outfit. I do think he's largely responsible for the fact that we don't score goals with any regularity, that you wonder where the goal is going to come from week in, week out. But there are other factors as well that we need to consider. And I guess that the main factor, for me anyway, is, is the decline in Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. You are talking about a striker who has been, for the most part of his Arsenal career, a revelation. You're talking about somebody that was brought in for big money, but instantly hit the ground running. He joined um, mid-season in that half of the season. He was wonderful. He made 13 appearances in the Premier League in that second half of the 17-18 season, managed 10 goals and scored five assists. That's 15 direct goal contributions in, you know, in 13 games. You can't really ask for any more than that uh, from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. And then the following season, 18-19, he managed 22 goals and seven assists. So 29 direct goal contributions in 38 Premier League appearances. And in 19-20, he continued with an identical scoring record of 22 goals in the Premier League alone. And then it went downhill. He was. Um, Incredibly good in that 1920 season in terms of uh, the, the individual contributions he made towards Arsenal's FA Cup victory. Two goals in the semi-final against Manchester City, followed by two goals in the final uh, to finish off Chelsea. He showed everybody that he was still at a very, very high level. Um, you know, the goals in the Premier League, we all knew they were coming. People had at times accused him of being a bit of a flat track bully, someone that scores goals against the the weaker sides or the sides that he should score goals against and maybe went missing in big games. Well, a semi-final against one of the best teams that the Premier League has ever seen and then a final against, uh, you know, a, a really strong Chelsea side kind of put that myth to bed. And, and I think that was a moment where Arsenal felt that they couldn't let this guy go, that they couldn't possibly allow him to walk away and the need to tie him down to a new contract was seen as a real priority for the club. Obviously, we've seen with hindsight that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang hasn't been able to maintain that level. You know, you're talking about someone who's entering the latter stages of his career, 32 years old now, maybe he's lost half a yard of pace. I don't know. But in kind of looking at Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, it's important that you recognise it's not all his fault, right? The team are generally less creative than they were previously. Um, I think the players around him haven't always performed. And particularly last season, the 2020-21 season, there were a lot of other issues that contributed to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang not being at his best. We know that uh, his mother went through a really difficult time with her health and that had an impact on him. He was given some time off. We know that he contracted malaria and it was a really weird bloody season, wasn't it? He managed 10 goals in 29 appearances, so nearly one in three, um, if you want to look at sort of ratios. This season, he started the season again, four Premier League goals from 14 appearances. And, and we're still seeing the 
the Pierre Emerick Aubameyang light, if you like, the the kind of half version, like we saw last season. And although I think he's got a lot to answer for, and I think a lot of the responsibility lies with him, I think there are issues with the way that this team play that are contributing to him getting less opportunities, less chances, and it's something that's impacting the entire team. So I think a large part of Arsenal's lack of potency or or um, lack of threat in front of goal has come down to the fact that it's as simple as the guy who had been leading our line, the guy who had been um, our main man in front of goal is just not at the level that he was two seasons ago. And that is difficult for the manager because he, he's someone that Mikel went big on. He gave him the contract. He, you know, pers- tried to persuade him of the project, made him believe that this was the right place to be. All of that was done behind the scenes as the club desperately tried to keep hold of Aubameyang only to see his level drop dramatically. People have looked at him and gone, well, it's because he's on a massive contract now. He doesn't care anymore. I think that's a little bit disingenuous. I think it's unfair without any actual reason to believe that a professional footballer at the top of the game has just decided he doesn't want to do it anymore. Um, and, and he's just taking a kind of the easy route and having a bit of a free ride. I think it's unfair to say that that is fact. I think there have been a few incidents along the way, i.e. the North London derby thing, where you're probably looking at him and going, um, you know, your attitude doesn't look great. But I would say that this season, although the goal output hasn't dramatically improved, what you are seeing now is that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is at least working harder, is at least pressing as is being instructed by the manager. And I guess when you've got the effort and you've got the the buy-in, I think you can, as a fan, accept missing chances from time to time a little bit easier. But at the end of the day, a lot of this lays at the feet of the manager. Because I can talk about Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang until I'm blue in the face, because I do genuinely believe that he's just at a point in his career where he's not going to be as effective as he once was. But there are also contributing factors outside of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's control, but within Mikel Arteta's control that are leading to this as well. You think about the way Arsenal attack. It's become incredibly predictable. You were in a place a few months ago where you knew exactly what it was that Arsenal wanted to do. It was a ball out from the goalkeeper into the back line or potentially directly into the midfield. You'd see Xhaka pick it up, Partey pick it up, whoever hit the flank and Kieran Tierney would bomb forward down the left-hand side and look to put the ball into the middle of the penalty area. It was an approach that clearly wasn't working. It was an approach that led to us getting plenty of crosses into the penalty area. But that doesn't mean anything if you haven't got forwards who are capable of capitalising on that, forwards who are capable of occupying centre-halves, forwards who are capable of, um, you know, escaping centre-halves, forwards who thrive on that kind of service. And there are plenty of forwards in world football that love that kind of service, but we don't have them. Aubameyang likes to play off the shoulder. Aubameyang likes to be played in behind. Aubameyang likes to drift onto the left flank and pick up the ball and drive infield. That is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's game. And so to ask him to play as a bit of a target man striker, always looking to get across the near post, for example, or hold the ball up for everybody else, um, you know, it's... um, it's You're asking him to do something that he just won't do. And the same with Alexander Lacazette, a bit more of a hold-up player, um, 
bit more robust physically, a bit more willing to drop that bit deeper and bring other people into the game. But ultimately, again, is not a striker that thrives from crosses. And that lays with the manager. You know, you can have a very clear philosophy in your mind as a manager going into a football club, but you have to adapt very quickly when you see that it's not working. And one of my biggest frustrations with Mikel Arteta has been that He's persisted with that particular pattern of play and drilled it and embedded it into this team so much that we're finding it hard to get out of it now. And other people will have looked at it. And I heard Tim Stillman say earlier this week, and I think this was absolutely spot on, that if you're an analyst working on a kind of preparation for a game against Arsenal, you might as well take the day off because you know exactly what you're going to get and you know exactly who you're going to get it from. So this insistence on working the ball into these wide areas and putting the ball into the box has led to us, I think, becoming predictable and becoming incredibly stale. And as I say, if you're an opposition side, you'd be quite happy to let Arsenal work the ball out to that channel and trust in the fact that you will defend the cross and defend in an area of the pitch where you've got plenty of numbers. It's a big problem. And I felt like when Nuno Tavares was playing at left back and Sambi Lakonga was playing in midfield, that we saw a little bit less of that because these guys hadn't had it drilled into them and were a little bit more kind of spontaneous in the way that they attacked. Sambi Lakonga, quite happy to let the ball run across him and carry it forward, quite happy to break the lines with a pass, uh, quite happy to play a riskier pass than maybe Granite Xhaka would. And the same with Nuno Tavares on that left-hand side. He's not always looking to go on the outside. He's not always getting the ball and having the first thought of I need to get it into the penalty area as soon as possible. You know, he will sometimes come inside and drive at people, have a shot, for instance, from the edge of the penalty area. And and that kind of um, spontaneity and unpredictability in our game is ultimately what I believe is needed to kick this uh, attack and spark this attack back into action. Because it is too regimented, it is too predictable, and therefore it's easy to defend against. The other thing I wanted to talk about was Lacazette and him dropping into deeper positions. It's all good dropping into a deeper position and retaining possession. But when you do drop into a deeper position, bring the ball under control and work the ball into wide areas, who is then making the run beyond you to get in the box? Who is then making the run... Uh, into the space, who is then occupying the centre-halves and creating spaces potentially for people arriving late. And the only recent example we've really seen of that was the goal against Everton on Monday night, where you did see the ball worked out wide and Gabriel Martinelli had drifted infield into that inside space and made a dart towards the near post. Um, He made a dart in towards the near post. It meant the centre-halves couldn't leave him uh, unmarked, and that created the room for Martin Odegaard to time his run perfectly and arrive in the penalty area and put the ball in the back of the net. One of the easiest things to defend against in football is when you know what someone's going to do, right? If you know, we've said it time and time again. There are some players that are so brilliant that when they're on, when they're even if they're predictable, you can't do anything about it. Prime example of that for me is Arjen Robin. Remember Arjen Robin at his peak? He'd get the ball on the left wing. You knew that he was going to drop the shoulder and step inside onto that left foot. You knew that that was his intention, but you couldn't stop it. 
You know, Arjen Robben was that good. He was that brilliant that he would step inside. And before you've even readjusted your body position, the ball was in the top corner. Players like that, you can't defend against them because of their brilliance. And it becomes very difficult, even though you know what they're going to do. But as a general rule, if you know what somebody is going to do, nine times out of 10, you'll be prepared for it and you'll be able to deal with it. And when you're putting crosses into the box, that is a very... Um, that is that is playing the percentages game. That is putting the ball into an area and hoping that your player, more often than not, you know, sometimes you'll cut it back and that's a little bit different. But more often than not, when you put the ball into the penalty area, you're relying on the ability of your centre forward to beat the centre half to the ball and make the most of that. It's a bit of a percentage game. And the reason I find this so strange is because when you think about the rest of our attacking play, crossing aside, it is all very meticulous. It is all um, very calculated. And we're almost looking at times under Mikel Arteta. And I know people used to say this about Wenger, looking to score the perfect goal, just in a different way. Mikel Arteta's perfect goal is exactly what I've described. The goal against Everton. Work the ball out from the back, work it out to the flank, get it into the box, have a driver running, uh, have a, a runner arriving, turning up on the edge of the penalty area and sticking the ball in the back of the net. But that, in order for those moves to work all the time, the, the level of brilliance and accuracy that needs to be applied all the time is just unsustainable. And it's not something that you're going to produce every time you build up from the back. So it's we're on the one hand being very meticulous and very particular about one way that we want to play. And on the other hand, we're saying that we want to play the percentages game by putting the ball into the penalty area and hoping that our strikers can win it and, and make something of it. Now, if you've got a striker who's fit for purpose, the law of averages says that that striker will win more of those balls. Therefore, you stand a greater chance of succeeding from that particular pattern of play. But at this moment in time, we don't have that. And this is where I say to people that the one of the issues with Mikel Arteta is that he's come into this club with a very clear idea in his own mind of what he wants and what he wants to see. And the problem with that is as a young manager, there is no previous, there is no hard, concrete evidence that what you are thinking in your mind is going to work. If you're Marcelo Bielsa, right, prime example, and, and Leeds are having a, a difficult time at the moment, but if you're Marcelo Bielsa, you have coached at a very high level for 30, 40 years. You are very clear in your mind what your philosophy is. And the reason you're clear and sure about it is because it's worked, is because over time you've had relative success off of the back of it. You've seen what it can do and therefore you believe in it. If you're a new manager, you can't be so rigid in your philosophy. Your philosophy as a manager is something that you need to develop over time. It's something that will come... Um, from your kind of initial thoughts and then complemented by what you're learning or what you have learned throughout your career to date. And so if you come in as a new manager and you have set patterns of play in mind, you have an idea about how you'd like to build up, there comes a point where when it's not working, you have to recognize that you need to learn and you need to adapt and you need to do that pretty quickly, especially at the highest level. And one of the biggest frustrations about um about the game against Everton was that it felt like we had slipped back into the Arsenal that we'd seen 
prior to that decent run that we went on. And people had thought we turned the corner. People felt like we were being a little bit more spontaneous and that we were being a little bit more aggressive in our press, therefore winning the ball higher up the pitch and causing teams more problems. And then to slip back into that was really, really frustrating. So I've pinned a lot of the blame on this, on Mikel Arteta for his ideas and the fact that he stands on the touchline. And I've seen this. I was very lucky to have been at a couple of games during the lockdown period where there were no fans in attendance. And what you, what we got from that as people covering the club was we got a real insight into exactly what it is that Mikel's asking for from the sidelines because there was no background noise. You could hear every word. And Mikel is somebody who stands on the touchline and coaches every pass, coaches every, um, you know, every move. And as a player, you know, you're going to listen to your coach but I think you need to be able to have the balls, let's put it like that, to go, nah, you know what, I'm going to do what I think here. And, and I'm going to be spontaneous because I believe in my own ability and I believe that what I am thinking and what I feel I can do right now is the right thing. And I don't think we've got any of that. Why? Because we haven't got that that type of character in the side. You know, we simply haven't. And the types of characters at Arsenal that I would say fit into that category of spontaneous can be incredibly frustrating, but incredibly effective at the same time, are people like Nuno Tavares, are people like Sambi Lakonga, who isn't afraid to try and break the mould when on the ball in midfield. He isn't just going to play the five-yard sideways pass a la Mohamed Elneny. He's going to do something different and he's not afraid to do that. And sometimes he'll lose the ball in, in difficult areas and sometimes we'll get caught out as a consequence of that. But you have to be brave. I remember when we used to talk about Alexis Sanchez, one of the common criticisms he used to get toward the end of his Arsenal career when it was quite clear that um, when it was quite clear that he uh, wasn't going to stay at the club any longer. People used to say to me, well, it's all right. He gives the ball away loads. Yeah, statistically, he gave the ball away loads, but he gave the ball away loads because he tried to do things that would be the difference. He tried to do things that could potentially win you a match. And I'm not saying you need all 11 players to be like that. In fact, you need a lot of steady eddies, if you like, in a football team. But you need players who are willing to break the mould. And, and you look at the central defensive position where a lot of our play starts from. And I think in Ben White, we've got someone who's, who's quite happy to carry the ball out. He's doing it a little bit more frequently. We got into trouble from it against Everton. But again, I'm not going to sit and beat up Ben White for it or, or, or have a go at Ben White for it, because I think you need that. You need someone who's got the balls from time to time to do that. You need Ramsdale to ping passes into midfield sometimes, even when it's a bit of a risk, because that is how you break people down. You don't break people down by playing it left, then right again, then left and then right again and, and just waiting for the crack to appear because sometimes it won't appear and those cracks won't appear often enough for you to then be able to take advantage and do what you need to do to win the game. So I think that spontaneity is something that's hugely missing from this Arsenal attack and that comes from two things. It comes from the coach coaching it out of people. It comes from a coach being so insistent about what he wants that you end up on the training ground doing something so much that it almost becomes second nature. You do it without even thinking about it. And I think that's on Mikel Arteta. But you also get players who maybe aren't as confident in terms of their character as some of the players I've mentioned, 
who will then fear doing that because of the consequence of losing the ball. If you believe that in your manager's mind, his priority is that you don't lose the ball, for example, you would be reluctant to try that little bit extra. But trying that little bit extra is what can break down an opponent. And it's one of the reasons that I'm massively disappointed that Nicolas Pepe's omission from the side and the fact that Nicolas Pepe doesn't get a look in whatsoever at this moment in time. Does his attitude stink? Maybe. Is he not pulling his weight on the training ground? Perhaps. But a good manager finds a way of, I'm not going to say keeping everybody happy because that can often be impossible, but a good manager has to recognise the problems in his team, has to recognise what each individual player can offer and try and tap into that as much as possible. And I feel like there are players at Arsenal that can offer that spontaneity that Mikel Arteta perhaps doesn't trust as a result of how unpredictable they can be. I mean, Nuno Tavares, as I said, you know, there's been games where he's been an incredible uh, attacking weapon for us, but you don't really know what you're going to get from him from a defensive standpoint. He might commit too far forward and that costs you a goal. And it feels like Mikel Arteta is just really adverse to risk. You then talk about the midfielders. Granit Xhaka doesn't take many of those risks I've talked about. Why is he such a firm favourite with Mikel Arteta? Well, there you go. He's such a favourite that he brought him back after two months without playing anything, without playing any football, because he wanted to bring him into the side to try and bring that stability, because he was hoping, I believe, that it would bring something out of, of Thomas Partey again. We've got a right back who is great. Really enjoy watching him. I think he's incredibly committed, incredibly talented, very good reader of the game, physically really good. But it's clear that Mikel Arteta has brought a very specific right back in Tommy Asu, someone who is basically a centre-back who's been moved slightly right so that he can protect us. And again, it's a sign of um, us being risk-adverse. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I think balance is, is one of the most important things in football. But what I am saying is that if you know that Arsenal line up in a certain way, for example, you know that Takahiro Tomiyasu is more of a centre-back. You can bet going into the game, he's not going to get as far forward and as frequently as the left-back. Again, another element to our predictability. And then you move back into the final third and you look at some of the players that Mikel Arteta's entrusted at the moment with kind of scoring goals, etc., etc. You know, you we talked about Aubameyang, we talked about Lacazette. And, and the problems he... I mean, Alexander Lacazette, I heard somewhere today that he's had a, a, re, a handful of shots in the Premier League so far this season. In fact, if we go over to, to some of the stats from um, from this season, let me just bring it up on the uh, Arsenal page. Uh, where are we? Let's go to Arsenal. You know, if you look at some of the stats, you can see that these players, although, you know, we've come away from a lot of games this season talking about how well Alexander Lacazette did, has he actually offered much as a goal threat? Has he actually offered all that much as a um, as someone who's going to, you know, contribute to to us scoring on a regular basis? You know, three three goals in total this season from thirteen appearances. It's not really good enough. Um, you know, people slag Pierre Emerick Aubameyang off. He's managed seven. Emil Smith Rowe six, which is pretty good. Bukayo Saka three from seventeen appearances. That's not good enough. Martin Odegaard, three, not good enough. Gabriel Martinelli, one. Eddie Nketiah, two. Um, Nicolas Pepe, one. You know, it's 
these players need to be more more potent when the opportunities come their way and need to take a bit of responsibility themselves. I think another big issue that we have is is the inability to carry the ball into dangerous areas. I think we've got one player in the current starting 11, as, as Mikel Arteta would have it, that enjoys carrying the ball and carries the ball comfortably and carries it into areas where we cause problems. And that is Emil Smith-Rowe. I think he's a really, really good dribbler. And a lot of the good things that we have done this season have come off the back of him carrying the ball um, you know, into into specific areas and almost luring players in. And that, in turn, creates space for others. But, you know, a lot of a lot of the issue is that as well. And, and you know, the, the lack of dribblers, because I think if you look at it statistically, and I don't have the stats to hand, but I was looking at something yesterday. Arsenal, one of the worst dribbling teams in the Premier League, in the sense of we don't do it enough. And when we do try and do it, we don't complete as many dribbles as some of the teams that we're competing with this season. Dribbling is a very important part of the game. I think we've almost been conditioned with this all this ticky-tack of football that it isn't important, but it is. You know, you have to have the ability to beat a man. If you pass, 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 but a team is set up perfectly, where where's the space? Sometimes you create space by showing a bit of brilliance and skipping past someone. Um having the ability to take a man on and, and break into a space. All of these things are really, really lacking in this Arsenal team. And I believe that although we won't fully solve this problem until we go and upgrade in terms of our attackers in the transfer market, I do think there are certain things that Mikel Arteta can do to improve our attack. And I think one of them, or the main one, is taking the shackles off of certain players. I think another one is including more of the players that possess that particular skill set, the ability to dribble with the ball, the bravery that is needed to do things like that. Um, I can't believe that Nicolas Pepe is being completely overlooked at the moment. I can't believe that Eddie Nketiah is being preferred over him in wide positions. I think that's absolutely crazy. I mean, <laughs> Nicolas Pepe, you know, he's, he's, he's appeared nine times this season. Um, and although he's only scored one goal, he's provided three assists. That's four direct goal contributions in nine appearances. It's a pretty good ratio. And when you, I know it's a small sample size, but when you compare that ratio to some of the players in terms of their direct goal contributions with their appearances, et cetera, et cetera. You know, for example, if you look at Bukayo Saka, five direct goal contributions in 17 appearances. That's not even one in three. If you look at Emil Smith-Rowe, eight in 16, that's two a game, which is around about what Pepe's is. Martinelli, three direct goal contributions in 11. Again, that's, you know, nearly one. It's not one in, th not even one in three. And, and, and the point I'm trying to make is that Nicolas Pepe can frustrate the shit out of people. You know, he does things that irritate you. He does things that drive you mad. But ultimately, throughout his Arsenal career, he has contributed uh, you know, very strongly in that area. He's contributed brilliantly, um, you know, in in, in in an attacking sense. And I'm not saying even, because I know a lot of people say he's not played well, Saka in front of him. I'm okay with that. <laughs> if you think about it, I'm not even saying that you have to leave Saka out of the team. You know, Martin Odegaard went through a shit period. Why not put a Mill Smith-Rowe in the ten? Give Saka one flank, 
give Pepe the other. Put Pepe on the left if you want to leave Saka on the right. You know, he's proven that he's he can be effective from the left-hand side as well. At various points last season, I would argue he looked better from the left-hand side. So the point I'm making is not that Nicolas Pepe even needs to start every week, but you can't afford to freeze players like that out. You can't afford to say to Nicolas Pepe that you've now fallen down the pecking order below Martinelli, below Enketia, who doesn't even want to be at the club. You just can't do that. It's absolute madness. And and it's it's almost sending a message that you're not going to accept anybody with any degree of spontaneity and any bravery in the way they play. I mean, you look at last season, Nicolas Pepe scored more goals than Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. And he's a winger. Yet you pick Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang most weeks and Nicolas Pepe can't even get a sniff on the bench. I don't care if his attitude is a little bit... Um, questionable. He's obviously a player that needs to have confidence. He's obviously a player that needs to have an arm put around him. And he's obviously a player that is, um, you know, is struggling with that at this moment in time. I just think as a manager, if you're looking at your group and you're not getting the goals you want from Aubameyang, you're not getting the goals you want from Lacazette and your attack has been completely devoid of spontaneity um, and you know, the ability to kind of freestyle, which is ultimately what you need to do as an attacker. I don't see how you can then look at Nicolas Pepe and say he's not even an option. And this is where Mikel Arteta, for me, is shooting himself in the foot. I don't think bringing Nicolas Pepe in the side or playing him more frequently automatically fixes the problem. But I think it helps the problem. And I think that what we've done now is, or Mikel Arteta's done, is he's clearly shown who it is that he prefers, who it is that he wants to stay uh, see staying in the side and sent a negative message to Nicolas Pepe, which means he can't possibly be engaged anymore. And if we were firing on all cylinders and if Arsenal were blowing teams away week in, week out, I would sit there and say, well, you know what? It is what it is. But Nicolas Pepe is, is in a place now where he's been completely excluded. And I believe he still has a lot to offer to this attack. As I say, look at last season. Alexander Lacazette was our top scorer with 17 goals in all competitions Second behind uh, second behind him was Nicolas Pepe with 16 goals and five assists. Aubameyang got 15 goals. But then if you look further down the list, and I'm not really going to look at Emil Smith-Rowe here because he made significantly less appearances, 33 appearances. But Bukayo Saka, who only played one game less uh, than Nicolas Pepe, well, he only scored seven times. So Nicolas Pepe scored more than double the amount of goals that Bukayo Saka did. Yet Nicolas Pepe has been the one to be bombed out. And look, let me make this clear. I'm not saying that you need to get rid of Saka. I'm not saying that Saka doesn't bring other positive things to the team and to our game. He does. But we're talking about an attack that lacks potency, an attack that does not score with anywhere near enough regularity. And we have a player who was our second top goal scorer last season, being completely frozen out. Are there other reasons? Maybe. But you know what, Mikel Arteta, your back is against the wall. Your team are not firing on all cylinders at the moment. And although we went through a pretty decent run just prior to this last run of defeats, we have never this season looked convincing as an attacking outfit. So how do you fix your attack? You need to take away the shackles or release the shackles from some of these players. You need to be less rigid in the way you want your build-up play. You need to 
stop coaching people into playing specific patterns that are very obvious and that opponents will pick up on with a simple bit of video analysis. And you need to include players who have that spark and have that brilliance about them so that they can make moments happen. And this sums it up. Caps, no risks, no reward. Absolutely, mate. If you think back to to Liverpool when Jurgen Klopp come in, and I always make this comparison because they were a team that were nowhere near where they needed to be. One of the great things about Liverpool at that point was you were watching them and you knew they were going to score because Jurgen Klopp had placed such big kind of emphasis on that. Um, you knew that they were going to score. You knew that they were going to concede, but you kind of looked at it and you went, well, when he gets that defence right, when he gets that balance right, we'll be great. And I always think that one of the hardest, well, it is the hardest thing to do in football is to score goals. If you can score goals, your other problems will solve them. You can solve your other problems. You think about Liverpool, they built the attack first and then they solid up the defence. If you think about teams that have, you know, come up from the championship and survived in the Premier League leads last season and survived comfortably, by the way, it's always the teams that can score goals. It's always the teams that have a goal threat that manage to do enough over the course of the season to see themselves through. If you can't score goals, that is a major, major problem. And Arsenal, at this moment in time, can't score goals and a different approach needs to be taken. Of course, if you get better players in, then maybe some of the tactical stuff that I'm talking about and maybe um, some of the kind of patterns of play that Mikel Arteta wants to see would be more effective. I'm not disputing that. But right now, in the middle of December, you can't just go out and bring in a load of players. And I'd question how much Arsenal are going to have to spend in January. I don't think they're going to go and break the bank and go mad on a on a striker or a winger. But, you know, if you can't, in the meantime, bring in that player that you want or the player that you believe is going to upgrade the attack instantly, you need to find a way of getting the maximum out of the options you've got. And I don't believe we are because I believe we've got a very good attacking option in Nicolas Pepe, who can be frustrating, but as can everybody in this Arsenal team, sitting and rotting essentially on the bench not getting a look in. And when I see others who maybe work harder, um, maybe are are more inclined to follow the manager's instructions to a T, are getting the nod, but aren't helping us in a goal-scoring sense, it drives me mad. I mean, Alexander Lacazette is, is a really good example of this. You know, Alexander Lacazette, if I look at the Premier League stats for this season... Uh, so far, you know, Alexander Lacazette is seen by the fans as this really important player. And I think he does have a role to play in the squad. I think he's very useful in um, in terms of what he does when he drops off. But you're talking about a guy who scored one goal. One goal in the Premier League this season hasn't provided a single assist for anybody. Not a single assist and just a single goal. How can you justify this guy being in the team every week? At that point, you're just picking your favourites because you're not picking him ahead of Pepe because of any other reason. Nicolas Pepe, um, <laughs> you know, is is a player who, you know, gives you that ability to, to catch an opponent by surprise. He's quite capable of cutting in field from the right-hand side and bending one into the top corner. He's quite capable of sticking a free kick in the top corner. It's it, It's weird to me that... Mikel Arteta, a manager who's had his back up against the wall for the majority of his Arsenal career, 
is obsessed with attitude, obsessed with culture. And, and that is, when I think about that, that's what makes me think that he knows he's not getting sacked and he knows he's not under any pressure because he's prioritizing attitude and things like that ahead of talent. And I think as a manager, there is a fine line. You know, you're not Sir Alex Ferguson. You're not Arsene Wenger, whereby your history speaks for itself. You're not Pep Guardiola. You're not Jose Mourinho, where you can make calls like that. And very few are going to question you because ultimately you've shown that you know what you're doing over the years. You're talking about a new manager who's clearly had an ongoing issue with the attack, who is overlooking a player who offers much more in the attacking third than at least two or three players that he is regularly selecting. So that's where I'm at. You know, that, that that's where I'm at. You know, we're not creating sufficient chances. We're not um, breaking people down with, with enough regularity. We are very predictable in our play. And I think that temporarily improved when certain characters were, were picked in the side, La Conga, Tavares. I think ultimately, though, the reason that they've been left out of the team since is because of that very reason. Because Mikel Arteta doesn't do spontaneity. He doesn't do risk. Everything needs to be calculated. Everything needs to be very meticulous. And in a lot of ways, he's a bit of a control freak. And I think there is a balance to be found. You know, you need to have your philosophy. You need to have your way. But you also, at some point, have to have to accept that you're not perfect. And you need to accept that you might be wrong. And if if you if you won't, if you refuse, then, you know, you, you, you're going to die off of it because Mikel Arteta is, is in a tough position now. And and um, the fans, in a lot of ways, have turned against him. Hakuna, why are you spamming the chat box with my name? Yes, mate, we know you're there. Um, but, you know, if you if you know what you want, that's fine. But as I said, right at the top of this podcast, as a new manager, you can't be 100% set on what you believe is the right way because you haven't got the experience or the evidence to show you that that definitely works. Got to be adaptable and a philosophy is not something that you cook up in your brain and then you go out on the training pitch. The initial philosophy or your initial thoughts will in many ways be the basis of your philosophy going forward. But you will learn what works. You will learn what doesn't work. And a good manager constantly adapts that philosophy and adapts their ideology based on their experiences, based on what they've seen, based on the players they have, and then manages to maximise it. And I don't think Mikel's doing that uh, in an attacking sense at this moment in time. So, yeah, how does he fix the attack? As I say, take the shackles off some players. Obviously, ultimately, the, the best way of fixing it and the only long-term way of fixing it is to go out and bring in new players. But if you're obsessed with a certain ideology and certain patterns of play, are you then going to bring in the right players or are you just going to bring in players that do exactly the same as the players that you've currently got or what you're instructing your players to currently do? And that's my big worry about this. Because defensively, I think he, he he has overall brought some structure. And I think he's made some really good defensive signings. Do I trust him as much to go out and make the right attacking signings at this moment based on what we've seen? I don't. And as a football club, I'd be reluctant to give him a shit ton of money to go and spend on wingers and forwards when actually he's never shown me that he can get 
the maximum out of the ones we've got. So, yeah, a um, little bit worried about that. Uh, I do think the attack is a big problem. I, I think, as I say, the ultimate fix is probably to go out and get a better player. Sometimes it can just be as simple as that. A lot of the time it can just be as simple as that. But I do think there are way there are issues with the way that we're building up, issues with the way we're so predictable and issues with the fact that at any point anybody shows any spontaneity or willingness to try something outside of the box um, to try and make something happen, it's immediately shut down by the manager and those players can then find themselves left out of the team for a long period of time. So big problems, lots to think about. Let me know your thoughts in the comments section uh, as well. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, make sure you are subscribed to the Chronicles of Aguna. If you haven't already, make sure you checked out our show um, with Tom Canton uh, or the uh, Canton and Simeon show, as it's known, uh, over on Tom's channel. Uh, we'll be doing that again next week. It'll be on this channel next week. So please do check it out. We've got over 150 of you watching at the minute, but there's only 49 likes on the board. Guys, hit that like button. Let's try and uh, and get it up to 100 likes between now and the outro rolling. Uh, Vinny's asking about my team for Southampton. We'll talk about that on tomorrow's show. So make sure you tune in. Uh, we'll be doing that. I, I think I'm going to probably do it at 10.30 in the morning just because I've got some stuff going on a little bit later, but then it gives you the whole day to take it in if you can't watch it live. Um, a point that is raised by Harvey just before we go that I think is really important as well. Do you think it's also a mistake that we seldom have a striker in the box? I do. I talked a little bit earlier on about occupying centre-halves. A centre-half is, is, is at their most comfortable when they can sit on the edge of their box with nobody running in behind them and the play all taking place in front of them. They never want to turn and run back to their own goal. They never want to be facing their own goal. They never want to really be side-on dealing with uh, balls being cut back from the wide areas. If you don't put people in the box, if you don't have a striker constantly standing on them and giving them something additional to think about, then you make their day, evening, afternoon uh, a lot more comfortable than it should be and a lot more comfortable than most will make it. Therefore, I agree with you, Harvey, it is important that you do get strikers pushing right up and your striker needs to be your spearhead. And we've almost become obsessed. Is it a Pep Guardiola thing? Is it the false nine thing that Pep Guardiola employs? Is that why Mikel Arteta is quite happy, um, you know, to, to drop into deeper areas? Is that why? Because he's seen Man City do it? I don't know. Is that why he's quite happy for us not to push strikers into the box or have strikers starting really high up the pitch and on the centre half, I don't know. But ultimately, Man City have a shit ton of quality players who will make those runs and who, when they get the ball in and around the box, have the individual brilliance to make things happen. And we don't. So that's the big difference, I guess. Anyway, thank you all so much uh, for tuning in. Let me know your thoughts on the discussed subject. Um, I'd like to hear from you. It is... Um, really important that we get your thoughts. It's one of the things uh, I love about this podcast. But before we go, and I almost forgot to do this, uh, I've got to give you guys a message from our sponsors, Pro Prep. As I mentioned right at the top of the program, the Chronicles of Aguna for the month of December is sponsored by Pro Prep. It's the perfect study tool for university students undertaking science, technology, engineering, or maths related modules. It can half your study time. Pro Prep provides bite-sized videos related to the module or course, which can be accessed from any device 
at any time. And it's already helped over half a million students to pass their exams. They provide customized STEM study tools that match your syllabus. Long lectures are condensed into short and clear video tutorials. And after videos, you can go through what you've learned with interactive exercises and practice questions so you'll be ready for the exam. You can even submit your questions to the Pro Prep professors and receive a video answer within 24 hours. Pro Prep have created a special offer just for our listeners. All you need to do is go to their website, which is linked in the description. It's proprep.uk slash info slash football. For more information, check it out. And our listeners can sign up for a free 30-day trial without inputting any credit card details whatsoever that's pro prep p-r-o-p-r-e-p dot uk slash info slash football check it out pro prep the ultimate study tool and we thank them for their very kind sponsorship i'll be back uh with uh some more content for you guys tomorrow if you are interested i am commentating on the Atalanta Villarreal game. I wasn't meant to be, but obviously it got rearranged and the game has been uh, passed my way, which I'm delighted about. So really looking forward to that. Atalanta versus Villarreal. If you're watching us live, if you're watching this later or tomorrow or listening on the audio, you probably missed it. Uh, but yeah, 6pm uh, flash score app. If you're interested, get involved. Love to hear some feedback. Catch you all very soon. Until next time. Goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.